it is just massive over consumption of water. There's no fooling around anymore. Climate disruption is is pounding on us already. The key for us is we want to protect our waterways. We all we all make mistakes getting started. It's just a matter of seeing if we can help avoid some of those right up front. It amounts to tens of thousands of gallons of water. You're listening to the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Miller, Associate Editor for the magazine. Today on this show, we're diving a little deeper into the world of irrigation. And forgive the pun, I'm not trying to make light of a situation that seems pretty dire. According to a report published by the United States Environmental Protection Agency, the landscaping industry accounts for roughly one-third of all residential water use. This amounts to roughly 9 billion gallons a day. But here's the kicker. Some experts included in the study estimated that as much as 50% of that water is wasted due to evaporation, wind, or runoff caused by inefficient irrigation methods. I just threw a lot of numbers out there, so here's the issue, plain and simple. The green industry accounts for a lot of water use, and much of it is wasted anyway. In a world where water scarcity is becoming a very real issue, some landscapers are trying to make the necessary adjustments to conserve water. But how? In this podcast series, we'll first break down the problem the green industry faces before exploring proposed or current solutions. You're listening to the first episode of Choppy Waters. Stay tuned. So the first thing I always have our our guests do is, uh, or anybody I interview really, is just introduce yourself. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background in the green industry as well. Okay. All right. My name is Jason Geister. Uh, I've been in the green industry for about 23 years now. Uh, Started in southeastern Wisconsin. And uh, due to uh, the wish to uh, go to graduate school, in the early 2000s, I moved out to the American Southwest, and um, after graduate school, I uh, stayed in landscaping and uh, been working in the Denver metropolitan and northern Colorado area since 2011. So I've been probably uh, at least 10 to close to 15 years now working uh, deeply in irrigation. Chasen lives in an area of the country that's almost certainly more concerned with water use. Admittedly, it's largely by necessity. As someone who's lived all over the country, he's seen firsthand how landscapers in drought-stricken areas have needed to conserve water, more than those in areas less affected by water shortages. I mean, it's almost day and night. Like, um, you know, I still have family that lives in the Midwest, so I go to the Midwest. Uh, I wouldn't say very often but on a regular basis and it still astonishes me um the difference in terms of how would you say irrigation technology and irrigation use like in the midwest at least seems to me that with the exception of big commercial properties uh golf courses of course and um large municipal parks there's still not a lot of irrigation systems you know i know that that is changing and to tell you the truth, to be honest, I've been out of the loop in the Midwest for a few years now, you know, so 
Uh, I know that the trend is moving more towards irrigation, but it's it's night and day from like the Midwest region compared to the to the West and the Southwest because there just is no water. Um, not just in terms of precipitation, but just in terms of overall uh, humidity in the air. Uh, I think people neglect this uh, obvious fact that having a relative air humidity is um, a great benefit to plant material. Do you think people are more conscious in um, spots of the country where there's just less water to be had? Yeah, I would say we're definitely starting. Um, there's still a lot of education that needs to be done. Uh, people in my position as commercial irrigation managers uh, need to do um, a more consistent job. I wouldn't say better because we're still in the process of developing what that better is, quote unquote. But we need to do a more consistent job of edu- educating our clientele, um, homeowners, HOAs, uh, commercial property managers on uh, what smart uh, irrigation actually is. Uh, the truth is, is that people are becoming much more water conscious. Uh, they just still don't know the proper means to, to to conserve water. Smart irrigation. We'll get to that later. Because that bit about education is really, really important. The education goes beyond the clients. It starts with landscapers, too. Some landscapers might lack the training and education necessary to properly irrigate landscapes because, frankly, they're sometimes just thrown into that line of work. And can you hear me okay, Paul? I can hear you okay. How about, uh, am I coming through all right? You're coming through great. Thank you. This is Paul Schultz. He's the Irrigation Resource Manager for Caguan Adored in Northern California. He says he got into irrigation because he likes to fix things. And with that comes identifying the things that often need fixed. And I think the number one is that they don't take the time up front to make sure they know what their supply is like for the irrigation system. They don't know how many gallons per minute. They don't know what pressure is. They don't, uh, you know, address things like, you know, going up a hill or, you know, how far back so that they, they don't do the calculations necessary up front to kind of avoid that. And I think that was one of the things that I learned early on is, Take the time to, to kind of lay out your irrigation system as far as the design, but then make sure that you understand, you know, what is your supply line so that you can size the, the type of, of zones that are needed and pipe sizing so that that's properly, you know, can compensate for things that, you know, otherwise too small of a pipe, you're going to have a lot of pressure restrictions and you go to turn on the system, you've worked so hard to install and everything's in place. And now it's, you know, it's just not, it's underperforming. And then you've got to go back and start fixing things. And it's like, you know, and even sites that have, you know, been installed or good intention, beautiful things. But, you know, the, the afterthought thing seems to be, you know, the irrigation system. And it's probably one of the most important things because you can't keep the plants alive. And, uh, and that's an issue. I think the other is, you know, when people, you know, start to not calculate, they, they put too many sprinkler heads or, you know, rotor heads or too long a drip system on uh, for the amount of water that's available. Jason says that technical breakdowns and misunderstandings of best irrigation methods often leads to overwatering. Not only can that be just bad for the plants, but it often means that water gets wasted. You know, environmental impact it is just massive 
over consumption of water, you know, um, and it's massive. It's on a very grand scale. Like I recently took over a property in Northern Colorado. The, the, uh, the current community manager asked us if we'd be willing to take it over. And I went on site and, um, they were watering several times during the day. Um, and to, I mean, I'm sure Jimmy, you already know how much of a detriment that is, but I mean, if you're watering during the day, let's say you're watering at like 11 o'clock in, in the morning, close to the afternoon, and it's sunny outside, and it's it's already like 80 to 85 degrees. I mean, close to half of what you're going to put on the ground is going to evaporate. Like 30 to 40% is going to evaporate before it even can soak into the ground, you know? So you're just losing that water. And then if you're watering several times, if you're watering several cycles, um, and you're watering it for too long of a runtime, then of course you're watering too much for the ground to absorb. So you're going to lose more water than you're going to put on your turf zones or on your trees or on your perennials. So uh, the environmental impact, in my opinion, is huge, especially if you, you multiply that by the number of HOAs, number of commercial properties within a specific region. It amounts to tens of thousands of gallons of water. Um, and that's like on a daily basis, not just on a weekly or monthly basis. Um, it's also just very detrimental to our per- perception of landscape professionals. You know, the public doesn't view us with a very keen and, and positive eye when they see these kind of practices going on. Perception. That's important, too. Because some long-time tried-and-true landscaping practices are criticized for their possible harms to the environment. I'm David Salmon, founder of High Country Gardens and owner currently of Waterwise Gardening in Santa Fe, New Mexico. David believes some of the landscaping industry are stuck in their old ways. He says some overuse chemicals on lawns and irrigate with sprinklers all day long. David is a big proponent of xeriscaping, which we will get into in our next episode. Ultimately, he thinks landscapers lean on some of these traditional practices because they just haven't learned alternative ways. Do you receive a lot of pushback from landscapers when you tell them that? Like, what is the general reaction when you pitch this kind of, you know, new way of thinking for landscapers? Well, I just tell them to learn how to do it because that's, uh, we're we're just killing the planet with chemicals. I, I tell them, you know, it's like it or not, it's, it's here you need to practice it, and uh, your customers are—they uh, want it, whether they they know it or not. You need, uh, landscapers need to set them, uh, separate themselves from that old model and pitch um, organic and natural gardening methods uh, to their clients, which uh, I think will they will find be very receptive. Yeah, I think on the especially, you know, we've interviewed um, people before who have said that, you know, the millennial age and, and younger, you know, when they're pitching to those type of clients, they're almost looking for more sustainable options or, um, you know, environmentally friendly or environmentally concerned options. Have you noticed a wider, you know, adoption of practices that you're talking about? I think that varies regionally. 
I think there are areas of the country where uh, chemicals are a way of life and they're just not going to get away from it. And that's a gigantic too bad. But for David, it's not just about chemicals or watering practices. It's about opening landscapers' minds to new options. Chasen, for his part, believes landscapers are missing out on something that's already been growing, smart irrigation. Smart irrigation technology uses data like weather trends and soil moisture measurements to assess when and how much to water plants. So what's keeping landscapers from jumping in? Uh, you know, speaking from my little sphere in northern Colorado, it amazes me uh, how many landscape contractors, both uh, small and medium-sized landscape contractors, are uh, reluctant and almost um, almost have a disdain, disdain for smart technology. Um, I, I, I don't quite understand that because they're missing out on, on something that could really help their business, um, really help their their um, profit line and also help their retention with clients um, that's something that um, honestly kind of perplexes me uh, I, I understand that there's this traditional reliance on good old-fashioned irrigation controllers that are much like timers you know but uh, to, to be more direct in the answer to your question, I think that is a big gap that's missing in our industry is these small to medium-sized companies that have this reluctance to go to ET-based or weather-based controller platforms. Um, they're missing out on something huge, and <clears throat> they're going to get left in the dust, to be honest with you, because, um, I, I, you know, what your personal beliefs are, whether it's political, spiritual, or biological, there's no doubt that the climate is changing on some level. Uh, whether humanity plays a role in it or not, I'll leave that to bigger minds to deduce. But it is quite obvious that the climate is changing on some level, and especially in the West. Um, you know, they're talking about, like in Colorado, here in Colorado, um, you know, I have an 11-year-old son, and he's very much into fishing, so I decided to get into fishing with him, right? It's father and son thing to do on the weekends. And uh, there are streams that uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife have shut down because the temperature is too high and the water flow is too low. Um, so that, that the reason I bring that up is because it's only a matter of time before water restrictions become something that is more commonplace on an annual basis in my region. So um, smart water technologies are fundamentally important to sustain um, our landscape industry. And it astonishes me that there are still a large number of landscape professionals that do not utilize these um, smart technologies. In the next episode, we'll spend more time dissecting smart irrigation, as well as other solutions the experts are exploring. There's no one clear end-all answer, but the problem is clear to these experts. Landscapers are using a lot of water. Something's got to change. Climate disruption is, is pounding on us already, and uh, landscaping and gardening can be a big positive in terms of combating uh, climate disruption and trying to... Uh, preserve habitat and other aspects of uh, the planet's ecology. So 
I, I just don't think it's uh, an option anymore. So not all is doom and gloom. Like David was saying, landscapers have an opportunity to be a part of the solution. Thanks for listening to this episode of our mini-series, Choppy Waters, on the Lawn and Landscape Radio Network. We'll spend the next episode talking about ways to combat the problems we discussed in this episode. I'm Jimmy Miller, and we'll catch you next time.